Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to the second installment of Freak Flag Flying with David Crosby. In this episode, we'll talk about the folk music that inspired David to speak out publicly about issues that are important to him, which continues today with his fiery tweets about this dire moment in American history. We'll also talk about David's early years in the birds, songwriting as life advice, the struggles with addiction to hard drugs that robbed David of his songwriting abilities in the 1980s, and the very sweet life that he and his wife Jan have built together since then. How could Samson? I thought he was blind as a bat. How could he tear down the temple like that? The whole thing is, you were part of a generation where idiosyncratic, very individual voices were what they were looking for. They were you, James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, Jackson Brown, like you guys were all excellent song crafters. Mm-hmm. Like you knew how to write good songs. You came from a tradition. Like one thing you didn't mention as an influence on your early career was your family would also have like evenings where they would get together and sing folk songs out of out of the fireside book of folk, of folk songs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I grew up listening to the Weavers too, actually. My parents were commies. I'm a red diaper baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we would listen to... Uh, uh, talking union, you know, and like uh, uh, Pete Seeger and all that shit, and, and the Weavers. It was great. I do want to give a plug to a friend, Jesse Jarnow's book about the Weavers called Wasn't That a Time? It's an excellent history of the Weavers and America at that time. Uh, I would definitely check it out. And that was a huge, the Weavers was a huge influence on you. Is that correct? Very, very big. Yeah. They are where I started learning about having a set of values that you stuck up for. Now, I think Pete was wrong about picking communism because it doesn't work. It never has. There's never been a functioning communism on the planet, only dictatorships and oligarchies that called themselves communist states. But he was sticking up for what he believed in. That's the important part for me. 
He had something he believed in. He wasn't willing to shut up and sit down. Society tried to smack him down real hard, and he wouldn't go. He didn't shut up. He didn't sit down. Made me love him. Made me love him dearly. You know, he was, he was totally right about all the other stuff, about racism and all that. You know, he stuck up for the right stuff. He's a good man. But I think the thing that made me fall in love with him was that he was willing to stick up for what he believed in. So you've definitely tried to carry forward that tradition of being activist uh, musician who would piss off the authorities <laughs> any chance natural, you got. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that came natural to you. Yeah, well, I was always a punk, always kind of, you know, I always was rooting for the underdog. You and were I, an underdog, is that yeah. not true? Yeah, like in, in high school, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, I always had that attitude, and you got to remember the first encounters that I had with being anti-establishment were that the establishment was in the 50s still fully racist. That was how it was. Hey, remember the phrase, that's mighty white of you. Oh, I know. It's horrible. What a phrase. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's where I came from. Yeah. Okay. So that was so egregiously wrong. And that thing happened that I described in the documentary with my mom and the, Josh White singing uh, Strange Fruit. It's an amazing song. Billie Holiday's version of that is so heavy. Killer. It's fucking yeah. killer good. Yeah. And that really got me because I totally, my mom totally believed that. She was a fully humanist, fully we're all people. It doesn't fucking matter what color you are, which is what the truth is. I don't know why it's so fucking hard for people to understand it, but that is the truth. So that is a great way into having beliefs in the first place that are anti-establishment and that you feel strongly enough about to be willing to stand up for. 
put yourself at harm, a risk of harm for. You're willing to stand up in the street. Racism, yeah, that one, so clear. It was so clear. It wasn't like a maybe. I don't think politics involved. I could, you know, to me, any six-year-old should have been able to figure that out. Well, you don't have to teach six-year-olds. They are racist in the first place. They couldn't care less. Uh, that was a good way into it, a good way into having beliefs and that you stuck up for. I gained others, you know, as life took me along. But the racism thing was so clear and so early and so unequivocal that it led me to being very staunchly willing to stand up for what I believed in and even put myself in risk. People do so many things that make me mad But angry isn't how I want to spend the time I have Cognitive dissonance, they call it And I wonder just how small it could be made to be In me So much disturbing, short-sighted shit They have to do better than live with it I'm looking to find some peace to embrace To bring that smile back to my face And sometimes I'm
I'm very grateful to Greta Thunberg, the young autistic girl uh, from, from Scandinavia, who has really raised global awareness of climate change among her own generation. Oh, my. She, she has translated it to street... She has translated knowledge to street action and saying no, no, no to the, to the BS from the Republican Party and the oil companies, and they know it's BS. They're all making business decisions behind the scenes so they'll be hurt as little as possible as millions of climate refugees suddenly have to find new places to live as places go under the water. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable, but she, that generation is really waking up. She is an absolute gift. I love her. You know, she's a 16-year-old kid. She's sitting there and she... She understands global warming. She understands climate change. It, okay, she can follow the science. Uh, she says, well, my parliament isn't doing anything, so I'm going to go down there every Friday and leave school, go down there, and I will sit outside and tell them to do something. Her attitude, I'm sorry, I don't mean to upset you by saying that the house is on fire, but the fucking house is on fire! Yeah, totally. Uh, and and, and, and she, she's she's not kidding. And you can't you can't swear with B. You can't blow smoke up her ass. No, she's she, not. She, she doesn't want to hear it. She doesn't want to hear it. Mm. She knows what the facts are. And, she knows that arguing uh, against science is doom. You know, I, and I she love tells her, it like it is. I love her more than I can tell you. She's a a real gift from God. That girl. You and I have been talking actually, that in part because you think about your son Django, that. You worry that his generation does not have a sense of much of a livable future, and they're making real day-to-day decisions about relationships, about having children, about commitment to their. I don't career. know if it's decisions. Yeah, I don't know if it's conscious. Yeah, it, the, as conscious as I've seen it get is, I'm not sure if we should bring a child into this world. Right, but they do anyway. Yeah, that question's been asked for a while. Yeah, I heard that question clear back in right. Vietnam times. Right. Now, there's something going on that I, I think if I was a, a person into, you know, trending and, and, and sociology and numbers, uh, I'd really try to track this one. Young people are in, I, I think young people are in much higher numbers than anybody has even suspected so far not planning a future. They're not planning a family. They're not planning a career. And I don't think that many of them have made a conscious decision about it. They're just not going that way. I don't think any of them really want to look at why. But I bet you the numbers will show that there's a sincere change, a sea change in young people's priorities. Because a lot of them are not sure we'll make it. You got to remember that if you want to get the human race to grow, you have to bootstrap everybody. You have to get the most ignorant motherfucker we got and lift him too. And that's a very tough job. Right. And also, man, if we lose this next one, this is why this, this next election is going to be the biggest, bloodiest fight since the Civil War. Because uh, if we lose this next one, then we then that puts us another four years before we even stand a chance of starting to deal with it. What we're dealing with right now is that if we don't gain control of Congress, 
we can't start dealing with global warming. We can't start dealing with the climate change, right? So that's where it's life and death. And this is going to be the biggest, nastiest fight you ever saw because those guys don't play by the rules. And if a Koch brother tells you that he's put 80 million into this election, which he did say, that means he's put 250 million in. And that means there are eight other guys behind him who've also done the same. They're going to spend well over a billion dollars trying to get him reelected. And they're going to try very hard. And if we don't succeed in beating them, we can't deal with climate change. And then I have to agree with my son. I don't think the human race will make it. It's that far. Yeah. We will only have four, five generations more, and that'll be drizzling out. And under increasingly miserable and frightening conditions. And losing like, millions of people a week. Right. I mean, who could have expected that the new face of California would be wildfire so quickly was just, uh, you, you know, know. I got to tell you something. I, I think probably there's some Trumpers out there throwing cigarettes out their windows. <laughs> yeah. they don't, California has become a symbol to them, right, you know, right. of, of us hippies, you know, right. challenging their. Well, he, you know, he, he practiced on denying aid to Puerto Ricans under, after Hurricane Maria. And then he suddenly said he's going to cut the FEMA aid to California with the wildfires. He is sadistic. Yeah, he's There's a, something pathological he's about he's, him. He's only about eight years old, man. Yeah. He's, a, he's a kid who's never been allowed in his dad's office, yeah. who's broken in, and he's running around peeing on all the papers saying, I'll show them. Right. That's the little guy that he is. Yeah. And he's a shit. Yeah. And there's some other interesting things about him. Imagine this. He's never ever made anybody come. <laughs> yeah. Ever. Not in his life. Right, right. He's only ever been serviced. Right, right. He, is, he has not ever made love to anyone. Right. He doesn't like dogs. I know. That's it's, a dead giveaway. Yeah. He, Probably dogs don't like him. They don't. Right. Uh, here's a bigger one. He doesn't listen to music. I at, know. At all. So weird. Doesn't so like weird. music. Yeah. Okay. So weird. So, He's not even human. Yeah. He's a disgusting piece of shit. Yeah. So anyway, back to, that's why I'm trying to get young people to vote. Yeah. Uh, the idea of this gig that I'm trying to put together is simply to put that out there. We need you to vote. We need you to get your lazy ass out of bed, drag it down there, stand in line, have your ID, and vote. Otherwise, the motherfuckers are going to kill us all. Yeah. Your grandchildren won't have a livable planet to live on. Yeah. If you have grandchildren, which, by the way, is what I was seeing. A lot of these kids don't really plan on having grandchildren. Right, right. You know, I, I, I was uh, at Roosevelt Stadium in Jersey City on August 8th, 1974, when Nixon resigned. You and Graham and Stephen and Neil were playing. They announced that Graham announced the resignation from the stage. If Trump resigned, what would you want to play? Hmm. The Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. I'd want to, I'd want to play something joyous. Yeah. I've been singing What Are Their Names? Yeah. And I almost want to sing it again right then in honor of the song. Right. But uh, if Trump resigned, oh, I, I'd want to play something, you know, something that rocked. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something, something that just rocked out. Yeah. Because that's how I'd feel. Man, I need an audience with the king. I need to ask him something. Why do they do the things they do? And do they think about me? Do they think about you? This is Tom Marshall with Osiris, here to tell you that Freak Flag Flying is brought to you by Pilsner Urkel Beer. In 1842, Pilsner Urkel brewed the world's first golden pilsner in the city of Pilsen in the Czech Republic. It is still brewed in the same brewery today, using the same Czech ingredients. There are a lot of crazy beers out there these days, and sometimes I just need a lager, specifically a Pilsner. Pilsners I find to be crisper and cleaner tasting than other beer types, and Pilsner Urkel I feel has the formula just right. It's not fruity or bitter or overhopped. The malt and hop flavors are just balanced perfectly. They've had 178 years to perfect it. You should give it a try. Pilsner Urkel makes sure that all their beer arrives in the U.S. in less than 31 days. The product is refrigerated the entire time from the brewery in Pilsen to the distributor warehouse in the U.S., to ensure the beer tastes the same here as it does in the brewery in Pilsen. You can find Pilsner Urkel in your local grocery store, available in cans and brown bottles for freshness. To enjoy Pilsner Urkel at its best, 
consider pouring it into a Pilsner mug. Thank you, Pilsner Urkel. Well, one thing that I was thinking was that when you were when you were joining the birds and and coming through the sixties, uh, your generation definitely had a sense of its own power. Like you could change the world, uh, and you became one of the spokespeople for that generation. Um, I am not sure that your son's generation has that same sense of itself as a potent agent of change. Um, and that's one of the things that, that may be changing because of Greta Thunberg. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's true. She's an agent of change. Yep. Massive proportions. Yes. You know, she's sailing back to Europe. That's awesome. No print, no yeah. carbon print. Yeah. That's, that's she's sailing awesome. all the way back to Europe. Yeah. That's amazing. One of the things that uh, was a huge force in your life, as much as music, really, was sailing. And so you learned to sail by, uh, was it that your parents offered to buy you half of a seashell, was it, or something <laughs> like that, uh, when you were a kid? And that was how you started sailing? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how quickly did you know it was for you, that it was your thing? As soon as I tried it, man. Yeah. I, I kind of, that's the weird thing. Kid took me out in the boat to show me how. Right. And he, he said, here, you take this. And I said, you mean like this? And I sailed away from the dock. And he stopped talking. And he watched me for a while. And he says, okay, so who showed you? I said, showed me what? I'm sailing the boat. Right. He says, you're sailing the boat. I said, well, the wind's coming from there. And this, right. and it goes like, and it just, that's yeah. what it, it does that, doesn't it? Yeah. Am I doing it wrong? Yeah. No, you're doing it exactly right. That's weird. I already knew how. Yeah. Uh, so that was when one of those deja vu things. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. when I later wrote deja vu. That's what I was drawn on. Really? I, actually, for all the times that you've played that song, and for as much as people love it, I haven't really heard you talk about the how that song came about. Like, did you actually believe in reincarnation? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I still do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, law of conservation of energy yeah. says you can't destroy it. Yeah. Life force is energy. Yeah. I don't think it gets destroyed at the moment of death. I think it goes away and comes back. I think the Buddhists have got it right. I think it's accidental probably, but however it worked out, I think they've got a glimpse of something real. And I can believe anything I want. Fuck everybody else. Yeah. I can believe any goddamn thing I please. That's what I like to believe. I like to think the energy doesn't get destroyed. It comes around again as a new person. Yeah. And I don't think the, the identity print comes through mm -hmm. but there's probably ghost prints on the tape mm -hmm. you know a little yeah, bit yeah. you know and that's the deja vu experience yeah 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 there's like stuff that leftover kind of scraps of you know yeah ghost prints music's that way for me man yeah yeah gotta remember i started singing harmony when i was six right excuse me right you did what mm -hmm. no it's the only thing i was any good at man i was not a happy camper in school mm -hmm. i was not a popular kid i was a a little chubby boy, and I was not uh, not one of the athletic kids. Right. And uh, that was the only thing I was good at was singing. So thank heavens there was something. And how did you go from uh, be sailing as a, you know a seashell to owning the Mayan? Like, what was the chain of events? I had the stream right, yeah. and uh, they had just thrown me out of the birds. Yeah. And I went back down to Florida because it was good. Yeah. And uh, I had friends. Yeah. And I went back down there and I saw her. I saw the boat and she was it. She was the one. Yeah. And uh, 
So I uh, I uh, did a couple of things. I, I cheated. I started a rumor that she had rot. Right. Uh, under the mask. Right. Which is a place you have to extract the mask to find out. Right. It costs a right. lot of money. Right. And I also went and borrowed the money. Yeah. From Peter. Yeah. And, uh, Peter Tork of the monkeys. Or, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, he had a job. Right. <laughs> right. And, uh, man, I miss her so much. Yeah. You wrote a lot of music and it saved you a lot of mind space to have the Mayan to see. Oh, it took me so many places, man. Yeah. Taught me so much. Gave me so much joy. Yeah. Unbelievable. You, there's just, words fail me. Yeah. Honest to God. That's actually one regret that I have about our friendship is that I didn't get to know you soon enough to ever see you sailing. You yeah, know, it's it, fucked it up. You would have really, loved it. I know. I would have. It's yeah. really good, man. It's yeah. really, really delicious. Yeah. And the more offshore you get, the better it gets. And the more, and the warmer it gets, the better it gets. Yeah. Uh, it gets absurdly good. Let me ask you a question. It occurs to me, it would be nice to play Vagrants of Venice here in the po in the actual podcast. How did that song come together? Oh boy, I had a vision. Uh, a, a, you know, a, a daydream. Uh, my head wanders around when I'm stoned, and I imagined these people a hundred years from now living in what was left of Venice, Italy, when it's only just towers sticking up out of the sea living in the towers, fishing, sitting in the doge's palace, fishing, homemade fishing gear, fishing for their dinner out the window. I envisioned them, and they're scruffy, and they're, you know, survivor types, you know. And uh, I just started writing it. I couldn't, it was such a, a great vision, you know, that I couldn't not go there. So I wrote the words. Once I wrote all the words, I sent them to Becca, and I said, what do you think of these? And she said, oh. God, sometimes I love you. And nice. wrote that crazy music for it. 
amazing. Oh. And in a way, it's like an outgrowth of wooden ships, actually, because it's like a post-apocalyptic... Science fiction song. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I've written a number of science fiction songs, but I think those two are the two best ones, Wooden Ships and, and Vagrants of Venice. Yeah. And do you know about the news today from Venice? Have you heard I this? do. I've seen the picture. Yeah. So it's like the Central Committee of Venice or whatever voted to reject the science of climate change. And this morning, it was the office was flooded for the first time in recorded history. Yes. Yeah. The How carbon is, is quick. I became a folk singer yeah, yeah. and I was on the road by myself. Yeah. These things, you know, I was evolving a personality. Did I ever tell you the, the story that, that I used to tell about the baby thieves, child thieves? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, egg snatchers. Egg snatchers. Yes. You genius. God, you are yeah. as smart as I tell people you yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that egg was snatchers. a Paul, Can Paul Cantner used that in a song. Well, it's a Do great you know story. Yeah, I used yeah. to tell this story. Yeah. I imagine myself as being an egg thief. Yes. And uh, and this was a story I would tell when I was singing in the coffee house. Yeah. I'd say, I... Oh, you actually wrote a song about that? that Not a song. I would tell oh. the story. Oh, okay. So the first one, oh, first story I used to tell... Because Paul Cantor must have heard that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah of course yeah. he did. Yeah, I yeah. told it to him. Yeah, yeah. And so he... Uh, but the idea was that we that if you offered, you know, a young person another set of values that had to do with love and compassion and growth and change and, and good stuff, uh, you would steal those young people. Right. I said, and that's what I'm out here doing. Right. I said, I'm, I'm out here stealing their children. Right, right. Ideologically. Yes. And, and uh, when I said that, I realized you heard the words coming out of my mouth. And I said, oh, that's who I am. Right. And it is. Oh, that's interesting. It yeah. always has been part of what who I am. And it's one of those things that evolved, you know, and but once you recognize that it's there, you're kind of okay with that. Right. I'm okay with that. I, right. I I know it's made me piss off some people, you know, but it certainly didn't help my relationship with the birds. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. You know, but uh right. but uh it is me. Yeah, yeah. And it's genuine and I, I'm not ashamed of it. Right. I, I understand that it's caused me problems, right. you know. Me saying what I said about Kennedy and stuff and me mm -hmm. being political definitely acerbated my relationship with the person. No question. Yeah. Definitely fucked things up. Right. 
it's also who I am. Right, exactly. And I'm I'm not not ashamed of it. Yeah, yeah. I understand that it caused me problems. I understand that it's not always the easiest path. And I understand that that's not always a moral choice. It's just how I am. You even wrote a book about it called Stand and Be Counted. I did. But that has a lot to do with activism, too. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between believing things and being willing to advocate for them in public. Yes, yes. Uh, Again, some shit is so clear. Right. Racism so clear. Right. Uh. The same way when people are like that about gay people. Yeah. Gay people aren't different. Yeah. You're not. Well, I had You're- to figure out. I mean, the big moment for me was figuring out that the fact that I fell in love with, with guys was not one of the weirdest, you know, most disgusting things about me. It was actually one of the most beautiful things about me. Yeah. And to go with it, you know. And so because I was gay, I'm almost grateful to the fact that uh, I had to figure out that it was okay to be gay because it made me figure out that it was okay to be black and it was okay to be a woman. And, you know, like yeah. all that that whole apparatus. You of, had to go through it. You yep, had to process exactly. the entire thing exactly. and say, okay, what matters to me here? Right. What's valuable here? Right. That's the real questions, man. Yep. You got, see, it gifted you in, a, in the right. weirdest possible way. That's exactly in true. In a backhanded way, it was a gift yeah. to you because it it's made true. you examine it in the first place. That's exactly true. Well, it made me examine it too. I just wasn't yeah. confronted with it quite as yeah. closely as you were. But You, you met Alan Ginsberg, and, uh, the poet, and Peter Orlovsky, his lover, when they were really first going out. They used to come to the bird shows, correct? Oh, yeah. They were the most out gay people I had ever met. They were so much fun. They would come and they would dance and they were so silly when they danced. They were so, they were had so wide open and having so much fun. They were like children dancing. They danced like children. That's Peter Orlowski and Allen Ginsberg. They danced like children. And it made everybody love them. Everybody else is trying to do the sugar looker or the wapa dap right. or the hum hum. <laughs> and it, well, the dance this week is, you know, and, and right. wiggle your hip this way. Uh, put your left foot in, you know, and these guys were just blazingly high and full of joy and in, obviously in love with each other and having fun. Absolutely. Completely, they danced like children. Man, that's a good quote. There, there's even pictures of Alan dancing like that to the Grateful Dead playing Viola Lee Blues at the Human Bean in like 66 or something. Exactly. But he loved it. He exactly. Loved it. Yep. And that, yeah. how you saw him in that picture? Yeah. That's how he was. That's yeah, yeah. exactly the guy that I love. That is awesome. And, you know, and, you know, I know Alan was, an, was a complex guy, man, and there were things about it that weren't so great. You know, he's a pretty good poet. Oh, he's a great poet. He was a, a, Caddish a, is the height of 20th century poetry. Yeah, but he was but yeah. he was he was he's a difficult guy some ways too. Yeah. Like everybody is, right? Yeah. But Huge that joy that you saw in him when you played music, that was an Alan anybody could love. Yeah. Anybody did love. Yeah. Because he loved music and it yeah. transported him. Yeah. You know, they were fully happy. Yeah. He was very present, actually, which you and I were talking about before is the heart of Buddhist practice is mindfulness of the present moment and yeah. mindfulness of now, basically, now. being there now. Be here now. Yeah, yeah. It's There's, no bullshit. Right. It's the key. Right. It's the center of the deal. Right. Right. And you, your wife, Jan, actually said something interesting earlier where she referred to your songs as maps 
as tools of navigation. It seems like all of you guys, uh, you know, S- Stephen back in the day would write songs that sort of gave you advice about basically how to live and how to treat other people. Was that a very conscious decision on your part? It's a completely unconscious thing in both of us. And Stephen's talking to himself. So was I. We're trying to figure it out. We're not pontiffs. We're not, not pontificating. We really are going, I think this is it. I think if I do this or I say I'm this, uh, this, this is how, what I think might be right. We're pretty much lost and we're, we're looking for it, you know, anywhere we could find anything. And when, every time we would find a scrap that we thought was true, we'd write it down and hand it to you. See what you thought, you know, you people out there, if a thing resonated with the best minds you could send it to, well, then you were probably into the, you know, pay dirt. You were into where you wanted to be. It really all depends on how well the thing communicates at all. I found a map to bury treasure. I find it deep within your smile. I think that now that I have found it, I will study it. Like a cloak of trust Wrapped around the heart of me And no conditions were discussed When we joined forces helplessly Falling inward we were led by change When you look back over the, the peaks and valleys of your career, uh, what songs do you think most purely expressed your message, you might say, the core of your message? Wow, what a question. 
Okay, well, what is the core of my message? Love, love wins. I have more than one message. Some of my message is page 43. That's probably as positive as you would. Some of my message is wooden ships. Some is Guinevere. Some is rusty and blue. Some is at the edge. At the edge, it's one of the biggies. I don't want to pull the curtain back too far on my yeah, I understand on my soul, but right. but if you are looking for a glimpse, yeah, there's one. Our grasp is so fragile. Thread is so thin I wonder each day If I'm blowing away I know that I'm lucky I wouldn't be here at all If somebody's hand Hadn't been where I stand At the edge of a very great fall Like a lighthouse before you At the edge of the sea The woman whose grip Holds when you slip But the darkness won't get you Your family won't go It'll make your heart light To where you know what is right And you go A person's art reveals them to you. Right. I read a book that you write. I know a lot about you, man, by how you deal with that. Yeah. Because your art, if it's any good, right, is an expression of you. And so right. your your print is on it. Right. Well, in songs, even more than in books, which are very purpose-driven mm -hmm. songs, a lot of the, the purpose is self-expression, self Self-everything, self-fascination, self-immolation, self, you know, uh, aggrandizement, but Self-discovery, though. Self-discovery. Yes. Very often, self-discovery. Yeah, yeah. Wow, what did I just say? Right, exactly. That's right. my thing. Right. It cracks me up. I will say something in a song and realize that that's what I think. 
Right. But it's a secondary realization. Right. I didn't know that until right. I heard myself say it. Right. The poet Gary Snyder, who was a friend of Ellen Ginsberg, so I mentioned you earlier, he once said, I don't write to say what I think. I write to find out what I'm thinking. Exactly. Yeah. yeah man, he's a good wordsmith. He's a good wordsmith, yeah. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. That's a really fine way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's fascinating being me, man. <laughs> it's really, it's a, it's a voyage of discovery. <laughs> it's, it's, you know. Really I think going, I'm supposed to say, okay, boomer right now. Well, you know, <laughs> I just, I, I didn't plan any of this. You know that, Stephen. I, yeah. I had no fucking idea. I didn't yeah. have a map. Yeah. I've been bouncing from down a, a, a what do you call it, those pool tables, you know? The, no, the ones with the flippers, you know. Oh, pinball. I've been uh, like a guy yeah. coming down a pinball sheet, you know, yeah. and just bouncing off of shit right. my whole life. Right. I didn't have a plan. Right. I didn't, I didn't come in here extra smart. Right. I didn't come in here knowing what the fuck was going on. I do think you came in extra curious. You're curious about stuff. You're a very, deeply curious guy. Very. That's one of well, the things that made me and Jan fall, fall for each other. Oh, wow. Is we're both insanely curious about everything. We want to know why does it do that. Right. And also, what makes knives sharp and what makes yeah. not work on Swedish everything. bottles? Everything. We, everything. You're fascinated by craft, actually. I am fascinated by craft. I'm fascinated by art. I'm fascinated by life. I'm fascinated by chemistry. I'm deeply fascinated by history. History is some big mojo. You know, these are all such obvious platitudes that history repeats itself and all that shit, but it totally fucking does. If you read history, you will see the patterns. It, it, they are clear. It is not tough to see. Human beings behave in certain ways, and they evolve. And some of those ways get better, and some don't. History is a wonderful teacher, brutal, but really good. I, I think, I've often thought, you know, do you ever have people ask you, what would you do if you didn't do what you do? Yes, I did want to ask you that, actually. Yes. Yeah. What would you want to do? History teacher. Wow. Yeah. That's There's a moment in teaching, you've probably done this, when you're explaining something to somebody and their face lights up and it's like the wire touched and there was a little spark. And this, all of a sudden, the signal goes across, and they go, "Oh, you mean that?" That's a great moment. I could live for that moment. I believe my husband Ward Q Normal on Twitter, who is a high school chemistry teacher, does live for that moment. He loves seeing that moment in kids' faces. It is a joy, man. I totally get it. I could do that. I could live that life and feel, you know, that the school was a problem, that the rules were a problem, that the paperwork was a problem that the the stiffness and stuffiness and stupidness was a problem but that the kids and seeing that light go off were fucking worth it just a joy you know i i totally get it i really i i think it's one of the things i like best about him is is he's a teacher because he loves it as near as I can tell, he and I need to sit down and talk without you there because you take up so much goddamn air. Uh, well, he's a wonderful guy, but he's quiet. Yeah, he is. You have to give him space. Yeah. You have to ask him. He's an introvert. I am too, but uh, he's much more introverted than I am. Much. Uh, much more. He's and quiet. gentle. He's a gentle guy. Yes. 
I think that's one of the things yes. you fell in love with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's very egoless, too. Which, thank God, I don't, you know, you're one of my few friends who have an enormous ego. <laughs> I don't trust it anymore, actually. Well, you know, what I mean? you know it's, a, it's a funny thing. I've had to learn to deal with it, but I have yeah. found a wonderful mechanism. Yeah. If you have a gigantic ego, which yeah. I absolutely fucking do, yes. make fun of the motherfucker. Oh, yes. That's yes. the healthiest yes. possible thing. Yes. That's why I'm all the time poking fun at myself. Yes. It's because that's the way I deal with my gigantic ego. Yes. I make fun of myself. Yes. You know? Oh, the the sheer magnificence oh, of I me. Know. You say that stuff <laughs> all so the time. Funny. You can't it's help it. It's hilarious, man. It makes you laugh. Right. You can't help but laugh. Right. But it also makes fun of that ego. And I think that's the healthiest thing I can do. Well, I, I will tell you this. Last night I was complimenting you. I was about, You didn't even know. I was about to compliment you on a song called Tamil Pie is High at about three on your first solo album, If I Can Only Remember My Name, which is a high watermark of human art to me <laughs> and my friends. But in any case, so I was about to say something like that, and you say, you know, it's better to just call me an idiot. It's more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so I can see how you actually have learned you you you've bruised people that you love with your ego over the years. Actually. Yeah, and I don't yeah. want to. Right. And I also, it, the bigger your ego is, the more you feed it, the less growing you can do. Right. The more you suppress the ego thing, the, oh, I am terrific, right. the more open you are to new shit, the more you can learn and grow. Right. I would like, sincerely like, to be growing the day before they bury me. Right. I'd like to learn some new shit right. on my last day. Right. And, and have been doing it the day before, too. That's a, a moral and philosophical point that I'm not really willing to com compromise on. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. I want that. And I don't think having your ego be entrenched and, and nurtured and defended and the main authority leaves room to grow. It doesn't. It doesn't make you the kind of human being that I imagine I want to be. It doesn't feed compassion which I think is the surpassing wonderful aim. It doesn't feed growth. Are there things in your life you're willing to lay down your life for? Tell you 
Freak Flag Flying is proud to be sponsored by Vermont Pure CBD. Vermont Pure CBD grows their own organic hemp, processes their own oil, and makes their own products, all in Shoreham, Vermont. They use sustainable and natural methods to grow and transform hemp into healthy products, including the highest quality full-spectrum CBD products. They have tinctures and topicals, skin creams and balms, and edibles like CBD dark chocolate and even CBD capsules. Vermont Pure CBD is committed to only using the most natural, unprocessed, sustainable, and local products. They happily choose to pay more for ingredients that meet these criteria to keep the overall quality high and to support responsible producers. Vermont Pure CBD treats every plant, every product, and every customer with the care and respect they deserve. Try it out today. Go to vermontpurecbd.com and enter the code OSIRIS on the shopping cart page to get 15% off your order. Vermont Pure CBD. Enjoy your wellness. I wanted to say that probably something that only someone who knows you really well would would observe that you have, you know, you have this famously huge ego. Everybody talks about how you're a Leo and you have this, you know. Yeah, well, you know, it's the truth. But I wanted to suggest the opposite as well, which is that I feel like you've been very humble before the muse. Like you have followed the muse in many different directions. Like you are grateful for whatever she's, you know, giving at the moment. Like you really listen hard to something that is not easy to hear. You know, you, you you follow stray winds of improvisation, like in beautiful directions towards melodies that are uncannily beautiful. You know, and I feel like I did something better than that. What's that? I made it be more important mm. than anything else. Yes. And that saved me over and over again, kept yeah. me aimed at the higher end of the, of the spectrum over and over again. Yeah. I'd be wallowing in being a fucking junkie. Yeah. And the music and the desire to follow it and the desire to to learn from it and have it grow and have it be more magical even than it was yesterday. Yeah. Would pull me out of the mire and up into the you know, the creative space again. I just wish I had never wasted all that time. Yeah. God, it bugs me. You know, and they say that to you. When they interview you and they say, "Do you have any regrets?" Oh Christ, you got an hour? Yeah, right. Yeah, my biggest regret, even more than the people I hurt, and I hurt people, is the time I wasted. Mm -hmm. I could have been writing goddamn symphonies. Mm -hmm. I could have made three times as much music as I've made Mm -hmm. if I hadn't wasted years of time just getting smashed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How smashed can we get? Well, I don't know, Dave. Let's try. Yeah. Oh, good. I drooled on myself and nodded out. Let me ask you a question, man. God knows this has been talked about way too much, I think. But when you were getting high that way, did you enjoy it? Like, was it was it hellish? Not really. Was it good? You know, like, Not really, man. Yeah. Once, once you're addicted, then you're just feeding the monster. Right. You're just trying to keep from coming down. Yeah. That's it. Your life turns into that. It cancels higher consciousness pretty much. Right. And your behavior gets really grubby. Right. Uh, and you're willing to do whatever. It's mostly just so you can stay canceled out. Right. Those drugs are painkillers. Right. Cocaine is too. Right. They used it as a painkiller, as a local anesthetic. Right. Because it also shrinks the, the uh, 
capillaries. Mm. So it would cut down on bleeding for eye surgery. They would mm. use it. Mm. Uh, but that's, that's technology. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Mm. Those, the reason people become junkies is to shut out the pain. Mm -hmm. They do not want, do not want to be here. Mm -hmm. They want to be somewhere else where mm -hmm. it doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. I'm totally familiar. Mm -hmm. That's, and it works. It's just you're killing yourself while you do it. Well, you were introduced to painkillers at a time when you were at uh, your most pain of living, really, after the death of Christine in, in a car accident. Is that not correct? I mean, you might have been introduced to it before that, but... Yeah, I just didn't... <laughs> I shouldn't have any way to deal with it. Yeah. I don't have any equipment. Yeah. Nobody teaches you about uh, death, your own or anybody else's. Nobody tries to make sense out of it for you. All the all the ways that, that they tell you that they're telling you about it are fairy tales that are utter, complete bullshit. Right. Religion is nonsense. Utter nonsense. And there you're loving somebody and you think you're starting to fall in love with them. And it's like a brand new experience and you've never actually really done that. And it's getting kind of magical. And she takes the cat to the vet and never comes home. And I just wasn't equipped. I didn't have anything. Like being a little swimmer, big wave. It took some junk. Well, plus you had just been through the weird experience also of being the bee's knees and having like the biggest hit record. You know, you won that Grammy for the first CSN album. And so you were like enduring this rapid rise to superstardom and then this most horrible thing that ever happened to you ever uh, and ended her life happened to you. Must have been so much to process. Yeah. The success stuff is all just disorienting, you know. It's, right. It's, it, you, it, people want you to treat it like it's the real world, and it's not. It's just bullshit. Yeah. bunch of bullshit. But, it, yeah. But this was real. Yeah. And it was more than I could handle, simply enough. And so, uh, yeah. I totally don't recommend it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, you know, you deal with shit however you have to deal with shit. And that's how I dealt with it. I think if I could have avoided that, I could have made a whole shitload more music yeah. to return to my original beef, which was that I wasted the time. Right. Whatever the cause was, the time got wasted, and that's a really shameful thing. Right. It's it's so profound. It's a real uh, fans of your music that that the the last song that you wrote before you, your muse really got so pissed off she split for a while was uh, Delta. And then the, one of the first songs, I know you wrote a couple of others in prison, but one of the first songs that you wrote in prison was Compass. And they, they bookend an experience of being lost in a really profound way. Don't they? Yes. Lyrically. Yes, particularly. Exactly. Yeah, they're... They do. Yeah, I had noticed that, actually. Somebody else pointed it out to yeah. me. Uh, uh and yes, you're absolutely right. And those were the two songs. They were right. the, it's funny that, you know, I tried to describe it to people, man, that there were plottable curves. Right. The increase of drug use and the decrease of writing. Right. Were almost matching curves in opposite directions. Yeah. The, the, the more drugs I did, the less I wrote. Until right. I stopped writing, didn't write anything, and Delta was the last thing I wrote. And then I woke up in prison 
remembered who I was and wrote uh, Compass. Yeah. Compass. Yeah, yeah. Which is not bad. Oh, no, it's good, actually. And dare I say, on the, you know, it's not the best CSNY record of all time, but on the CSNY record, Neil's horn, or sorry, harmonica part is really, it's bone chilling. Good, isn't it? As it should be. Yeah, we, you know, at that yeah. point, we were calling the Jimi Hendrix of the harmonica. <laughs> That's hilarious. And he was like, really, he's such a puzzling guy, man. He's a, he's a wonderful musician. Yeah. He has innately in him the ability to, to create wonderful music. ask you a question and this is a tough one uh as a guy with a big ego you went through one of the most spectacular public denigrations and humiliations of anyone in pop culture basically i did you did you went from being you know the spokesperson for a generation to my favorite david crosby joke of all time is from the simpsons when you were playing yourself and uh homer meets you and says david crosby you're my hero. And you say, I'm glad you like my music, man. And he says, you're a musician? <laughs> <laughs> so that was, you know, that got to that. The picture of you in People magazine is sitting in a jail cell. How was that for you? Like, it must have hurt. Like It's awful, but that's not the significant part. Okay. The significant part is the part we, we, we've been saying. Yeah. The significant part is it nearly destroyed the art. Right. The significant part is it definitely almost killed me. Right. Those are the really salient facts. That's the stuff we we can learn from this. Right. Wallowing in how awful it got. Right. Doesn't help. Right. It was awful, and I remember all of it, and I don't want to go through it again for right. anybody. Right. But I, I, I picked out what's significant to learn from it, and that I want people to know very badly. Right, right. Can we also talk about, Jan went through all that with you and stayed loyal to you. Yes. Um, you guys have a love that has been tested and, and uh, endured through the biggest shit storms life can throw at you. Possibly. Life and death, yeah. Right, right. Nothing less. What is it about your relationship that has made it last for so long? We, I know this is going to sound corny, okay? Mm -hmm. We actually fell in love with each other. Mm-hmm. And we are both flawed human beings. Mm -hmm. 
she's nowhere near as crazy as I am, mm -hmm. you know, but we are both flawed human beings. And, mm -hmm. But we have learned to love the whole person. I mm -hmm. love the whole girl, mm -hmm. mistakes and all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she loves me, mm -hmm. all the mistakes and all. Because I've been honest with her and we've seen each other over the years down to the toenails. We know exactly who the other person is and we love them anyway. Yeah. Deeply. Yeah, yeah. Because we've seen the heart. Yeah. She has a good heart. Yeah. That is a treasure. You don't find it hardly at all. As yeah. you know, because you found one. Yeah, I know. It's my, a rare my, thing yeah. to have somebody, when you see it, you fall for it. You fell for him. Yeah. You know you did. You love the guy, man. Yeah. I feel that way about her. I fell for it because of that heart, that spontaneous, warm, generous, loving human being that is there when she's happy. When she's not happy, yeah. it's a whole other ball of wax and you don't want to be there. But when she's happy, you fall in love with her. That's what happened. Yeah. I did. Yeah. And uh, I'm... And I really am glad I did. It has yeah. been a rough and rocky road, and yeah. I'm stunned that she stuck with me. Yeah. Because I put her through hell. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and I treasure her. Yeah. Because of how she has dealt with it. Right. You know, she's a good human being, and she was, oh, man, is she a good mom. Yeah. Django had the most joyful childhood of any kid in the world because oh, awesome. her sense of play is so strong yeah she's like blue is you know when he gets down in his four pots and he goes looking at yeah, you yeah. cock over one side yeah. you, you want to play yeah well that's jam yeah she's that yeah oh yeah. man jangle yeah. was so he was so happy yeah it, it was unending joyous whoopee all the his whole childhood it was oh, really great. great she's very talented at yeah she's a really good mom now too she's a really good family center yeah she loves our family and she treasures it and makes it be worthy yeah not an easy job being her either no because you cast a big penumbra there's that fame. too and also yeah. there's people have asked you know at other times in our life when we were together people tried to bust us up right you know they thought well that that they could get me away from her that would somehow help me get me away from the drugs and mm -hmm. what i was giving them to her not the other way around yeah 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 and uh she's a joy man She's yeah. a joy, and, and I'm a lucky fucker. That's yeah. really basically the deal. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm, you're being generous enough to let me sleep in the guest cottage uh, on your place. And um, I I carry incense with me because I'm a Buddhist and I meditate every day. So I have this little travel, you know, crappy incense burner I bought in a head shop somewhere. I noticed that yesterday, without saying anything, she put a beautiful cup filled with rice, which is the traditional, you know, way that millions of Zen students all over the world burn their incense. She just put it in between my crappy little travel incense burner and this Buddha in the room that I'm sleeping in. That's her. She, she didn't say anything. No. She just knew that tomorrow when I lit the incense to meditate, I would find this convenient, beautiful Japanese cup right there. She does stuff like that all the time. She calls yeah. it leaving crumbs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Trail of crumbs. These are the things, these are the things we do. These are the things, these are the things we do for love. 
At first it's just fun But love is long A little each day You build it that way It's being around Another set of hands What you want It's only That You will Kindle the flame for the next episode of Freak Flag Flying, where I'll talk with David about the power of harmony, the singers that have inspired his approach, from the Everly Brothers to an obscure recording by the Bulgarian folk choir that broadened his musical horizons, and his masterpiece solo recording, If I Could Only Remember My Name, which assembled one of the most gifted group of musicians ever to perform in the same studio, including Joni Mitchell, and members of the Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane. Freak Flag Flying is executive produced by Adam Kaplan and Tom Marshall. Interview, narration, and editing by me, Steve Silberman. Mixed and mastered at Telescope Audio. Promotions by Christina Collins and RJB. And thank you all for listening. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.